Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Riley's going to keep it and then throw. And Adarius Pullman's got a pair. Touchdown Eskimos. This one from 51 to tie it. Ball is up and it is... Through. Sean White has done it again. Comes off the boards. Two on two Oilers. McDavid has a step to the net. Back hitter towards side. He scores. Connor McDavid scores both goals tonight and wins the game in overtime. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Sophie Schmidt with a goal in the second half. Stony Plain Stephanie Labbe with the clean sheet. And the Canadian women's soccer team advances to the semifinals in Rio, knocking off France 1-0 in the quarters this afternoon, a game that ended about 10 or 15 minutes ago. Next up, once again, Germany, a team Canada beat in the pool stage. They'll have to play the Germans again in the semifinal on Tuesday. Other huge headline today from women's soccer. The United States out. The game ended in a 1-1 draw. Sweden eliminates the United States on penalty kicks. After the game, American goalkeeper Hope Solo saying that the Swedes played like a bunch of cowards. The best team did not win today. We'll discuss that as we move along tonight on Inside Sports. A silver earlier today for Canada in rowing. The team of Lindsay Jenerick and Patricia Obi getting the silver. Canada up to nine medals, 2-2-5 for a total of nine. Rosie McLennan getting a gold today, defending her Olympic gold in trampoline. She was the flag bearer in the opening ceremony. She is from King City, Ontario. As expected, a rough ride for the women's soccer team losing 81-51 in women's basketball to the United States. Edmonton's Catherine Plouffe chipped in six points in 12 minutes. How you doing tonight? Happy weekend. It is 6.08. It is Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, we will delve a little deeper into, es- into uh, Olympic stories as we move along tonight. We'll break down last night's Eskimos victory. We'll look more at those naughty Saskatchewan Rough Riders who have been fined by the Canadian Football League. But first... Inside Sports presents Legends of the Game. Pleased to welcome to the show one of the greats of all time from the National Hockey League. He is now a radio commentator for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He helped found that franchise. And Noah, by the way, he's also in the Hockey Hall of Fame. It is none other than Phil Esposito. Phil, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. And how are you doing? I'm I'm doing great. I, I've had a great summer. How are you? How are your summers? Are you, are you a, a golfer, a, a boater, a, a sun tanner? <laughs> what are you? No, are you I'm doing? a golfer. Yeah, I like playing golf, and I play uh, two times a week for sure. Sometimes three, and I enjoy myself. Uh, I play with the same guys all the time, and we have quite a rivalry going. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, uh, how did you, how did you get into the sport? Was this once you became an NHLer, or did you start maybe well, golf? Yeah, I didn't I didn't start playing until I was thirty thirty years old, maybe thirty one, uh, because I had to work in the summertime uh, to make ends meet until I was thirty years old. Not like now, cripe. That's, people forget that, you know. They forget that in the 60s and 70s, I mean, I worked until 72. I worked in a steel mill in the Sault Ste. Marie. After the season was over, I went home, and I worked for those three and a half, four months or whatever it was, because we were done in May. The year we won the Stanley Cup in May, it was May, what, 9th, I think it was? So I went home, and I worked... Uh, uh, June, July, August, and uh, went back to work in September. Well, that is a, a, a totally different era, obviously. So you're telling me the year you you set a record, 1971, with 76 goals, you finished the playoffs, and then, I mean, what was it like to be an NHL player and a, arguably the best NHL player of that time and then kind of working a, a, a nine-to-five lunch pail type job in the, in the summer? What was that like? Hey, listen, you did what you had to do to make – I had two kids – I had a, you do what you have to do to survive. And I drove bulldozers, track excavators, uh, graders, uh, you name it, I drove it, and I had a blast doing it. I enjoyed myself with the guys, and I played ball in the summer, at, at, unless I worked a 3 to 11 shift. And when I worked a 3 to 11 shift, I couldn't play ball, but when I worked 7 to 3 or, or 11 to 7, it was easy. I could play ball and still do all the rest of the stuff. And that's, I really liked, to tell you the truth, the 7-3 to three shift was the best. But the 11-7 the shift was okay, too. So what, what because now, uh, you mentioned obviously the salaries are, are way different. Guys, I mean, most of the NHLers I talk to, and when the Oilers come back in, in the fall, now they haven't had any playoff games, obviously, but they usually take a couple of weeks off and then they train, and they're kind of expected to come to training camp in shape, you know, to, to, to go. Could you do any type of training like that? Because you're Absolutely working. nothing. No? Yeah. We came to camp. We had six weeks of training camp, and the first three days we didn't touch a puck. It was just skate, 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 two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. And after three days, you couldn't touch the body. We were so sore. And, um, you know, that's what we did, and we scrimmaged. After that, we started line rushes, and then we would scrimmage. And we would have hockey games, basically inter-squad games, because there would be 30, 35 guys there. And we, let's not forget, eh, we only played with five defensemen and three lines. <laughs> People forget that, too. I mean, we played three lines, nine forwards and five defensemen, and one goalie. Well, we had two goalies, right. <laughs> but one played. Yeah. So, okay. so there were 16 guys. That's what we had. And uh, that's what we did. And, and it was fine. I mean, I probably averaged – somebody told me I averaged 38 to 39 minutes a game. Hell, these guys are in such great shape. Why can't they play that much? <laughs> oh, I'm for, sorry. They're bigger. They're stronger. All the rest of that stuff. Right. Well, I don't believe in that bullshit. There. <laughs> what um... – so when you finally had a summer off, 72, well, I guess 72, you didn't have the whole summer off because you played in the Summit Series. But what? Well, I, in 72, we did a hockey school, my brother and I, and to play in that series, we gave our old kids money back. I turned it down four times, or three times. I turned down Eagleson, I turned down Sinden, I turned down Ferguson. 
And then Bobby Orr called me, and he said, Espo, he said, I can't play. My knee is bad, but we really need you to play. I says, okay. He said, but we need your brother, too. And my brother was dead against doing it. He didn't want to do it at all, and neither did I. But once I said, yeah, my brother had no choice to play in that series. So we gave all the kids back their money for the last two weeks because I remember I went to training camp on August the 14th, which was my oldest daughter's birthday. And that's when I left to go down there. So were you reluctant to do it just because you were, you'd have to get out of the hockey school commitment? Or was it... No, I just things? didn't care about it. Why right. would I care? <laughs> I was an NHL professional. I didn't want to give a crap about playing against the Russians. Not when I owed it. And the truth is, the truth is, in Boston, in Chicago, in New York, they didn't care one diddly about this series. So I, let me ask you this, though, because, I mean, you're remembered for that passionate post-game interview you did after one of the games. I played for my country. Yeah, yeah, what That's point? what I did. Yeah. That's all. It wasn't, I didn't play for Harry. I didn't play for, uh, I played for the country, and I played for the guys on the team with me. That's what I played for. So when did that, can, when did that team really start to bond then, Phil, that maybe guys started to care about it or get a little more passionate about it? Well, after the first game, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't care. And I'm, I was one of these guys that said we should have never been called Team Canada. Never, we should have been called Team NHL. They didn't let Gordy Howe play, Bobby Hull play, uh, Jerry Cheevers play, Derek Sanderson play, Dion Ke- Dave Keon play. Real good players because they were in the WHA. Then why the hell call it Team Canada? Phil Esposito joining us on uh, Inside Sports as we go down memory lane here, talking about the 72 uh, Summit Series, other aspects of his his career. You know, Phil, there are a lot of guys like you who have had outstanding hockey careers. Not a lot of them then went on to become the founders of uh, of NHL franchises. It's the greatest thing I've ever done in the game of hockey. Really? Without a doubt. Absolutely. I was out of my element. I knew it. But I, I finally figured out both baffles brains, and uh, that's what I did. And there's no doubt in my mind, and I'm not talking about the NHL owners. I'm talking about raising the $50 million, and it wasn't easy. Um, I sacrificed the marriage. I sacrificed every penny that I ever made, uh, but it was all worth it in the long run because I got the team. I did what I wanted to do. And I'm living here in Florida and living the dream and living the life in paradise. So, well, let me ask you why it was so important to you. You mentioned the things you sacrificed. Why was it so important at the time? Because let's face it, Phil, you know what it was like. A lot of people at the time were saying, hockey in Tampa, why? What's the, what's the point? Why was it so important? Yeah, well, those people don't realize you play indoors. <laughs> you know, you go, I remember, I tell people this all the time. When I, I remember one day going to Montreal, it was 10 below zero. And this before all the Celsius BS came out. It was 10 below zero. I walk into the Montreal Forum freezing. In the Forum was about 68, 69 degrees. Or, it wasn't cold anyway, not like outside. After the game, it came out, it was 12 below zero. Okay, here in Tampa Bay, you go into the rink, it's 68, 69 degrees. When you come out, it's 70, 75. I ask you, which would you prefer? <laughs> well, the thing is, Phil, I've, I've lived which in Which would your... you prefer? 
I, I'm used to the temp, the Canadian temperatures, though, Phil. I don't know what it's like <laughs> well, on the other okay. side. You get used to something, correct? Right. Me, I prefer to go out with just my sports coat on and not put on a big coat and gloves and scarves. <laughs> That's what I prefer. <laughs> you might prefer different. I don't miss the cold weather at all. <laughs> well, when did you, was there a point where you felt, and maybe it was right away, Phil, but I, I want to get your memories on this. Was there a point you felt, okay, this team is catching on? They've got a bond with the community. People are starting to care. Was there a, a season? People didn't understand. We averaged 22,000 people in a baseball facility for three years till we built our arena. 22,000. Few people up north haven't got a damn clue about what's going on down here. You still think it's the wrong thing to do. And I know that because I get it all the time. I, I just don't understand. If you don't understand that hockey's played indoors, and does it matter what the temperature is outside? I don't think so. No, it's well, more comfortable to come to the rink in Tampa Bay than it is to go to the rink in Edmonton. Sure, but in dead of winter. No, Phil. Look, I I understand the franchise has been successful. I don't I don't question the team being there. I, I'm just saying when the team started in a non-traditional market, and I know you got you got fans coming out, but but there's to me there's a level of passion and commitment to being a fan that well maybe, you don't get a you don't get a um, what's the word I'm looking for you don't get a tradition overnight. You just don't get it. Edmonton was lucky. And I'll tell you why. Because when the WHA and they ended up with Scalbania getting Wayne, and then all of a sudden Mark, and then Coffee and Grant Fear and, and Glenn doing a fabulous job of putting all these guys together, and you win four or five cups in a row, you got spoiled. You did. I don't blame you. I would have got spoiled too. You had a great hockey team, and you started a tradition, but you started it quickly because you had great players. But when you went through an expansion like we did, where they wouldn't even give you the third goalie, and you would have to take these six defensemen, you knew that you didn't have a chance in hell of winning. So what did you have to do? You had to be entertaining. So what did I do? I built a team, and I put some tough guys. And I used to tell them, don't worry about fighting. Go ahead. I'll pay the fines for you. Because the fans want it. Because the fans would like that. Now it's different. Now they've understood. Now we're here 25 years next year. They understand, boy, this hockey is beautiful. It's a ballet on ice. It's gorgeous. But in the beginning... How did I get these people in the building? How do you get them in the building? You know you're not going to win. You know you're taking the scrap heap. And I got to tell you, guys, guys like Brian Bradley scored over 40 goals for us. He wasn't wanted anywhere. Yeah, I mean, he... we took the guys that weren't wanted anywhere else. Let's face it. Yeah. Well, Bradley was a great story. I, I remember that for sure. Hey, Phil, I got to ask you. Uh, Steve and by is... the way, he still lives here. Oh, he stayed there, did he? Yeah, good for him. Of course, he all stay here. Mark Bergevin even has a house here still. Chris Granton has a house still here. Um, Vinny LeCavalier is moving back here. Brad Richards is moving back here. This is paradise plus it's 20, 24, 23% tax savings. So do you think that's why Stamkos ultimately decided to stay? Because there was Absolutely. a lot of worry. Yeah. Absolutely. He's a, 
He's a king here. He's a king here. The guy's a king. And for him to make as much money as $8.5 million, you think about it, 20% is about almost $2 million. He'd have to make 10.5 somewhere else. And nobody was going to give him that. Yeah. Regardless of what you're hearing, all the bullshit you're hearing, nobody was going to give him that. And, and the truth is, and that's the way it should have been. That's the way it should have been for Steven. Because Steve is the star here. He's the guy. He's the king. So what do you, when, you, when you were an elite player, too, when, when you have the elite guys like Stamkos, Crosby, I mean, we're hoping McDavid becomes an incredible player here. For oh, he is an incredible player. What, he doesn't have to become one. He is. What, what's, what separates the elite guys in your mind? I mean, it's great to sit here and say he skates faster, shoots hard. What separates the elite guys in your mind? God-given talent and, and the mental capacity to read the plays and understand the game. Who is better at it? Who? was better at it than Wayne Gretzky. Nobody. Wayne would know what you were going to do with the puck before you did, if you had it. That's what made Wayne. That's what separated Wayne. He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the biggest. He didn't have the hardest shot. But he was the smartest player that ever played. And he had a passion for it. And when you have a passion for it, and that's the difference between, I think, real good players. Guys have different levels of talent. There's no doubt about that. But it's the mental ability to think the game and to understand what the opposers, opposing players are doing and to how to take advantage of their weaknesses. And, and, I, and I just, I, that's why I used to love watching Wayne play. I loved watching him play. Because people would say, well, man, he's not that fast, and he's skinny, and he's this, and he's that. Yeah, I said, he, he only controls everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and, and, and you've you got guys like that. I don't think Sidney can control a game like Wayne did, but he's a heck of a player. Mario could control a game when he wanted to. But Wayne wanted to every game. Every game. Very seldom did Wayne Gretzky take a game off. Yeah. Very seldom, well, and 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 I those are the, those are the guys that are you separate, you know, and that difference, and that's why Connor McDavid, I believe, he thinks the game by watching him, he thinks the game, and guys like that, I just absolutely love. Well, maybe you kind of answered my question because I like asking this question to guys. Uh, when you look back on your career, the best player you ever played with and the best player you ever played against. Yeah, maybe you answered with with with, with Gretzky there, but are, are there two guys? Well, I only you... played one. Gee, I was uh, my last year. Right. I, I really didn't. I only played one game, I think, against Oh, okay. So, but the best player I ever played with is Bobby Orr. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, if he hadn't gotten his bad knees in 10 years, what he did in 10 years, you imagine if he would have played 20 years? <laughs> I mean, nobody would have ever come close to the things he would have done as a defenseman. It was incredible. Now, the, the greatest player I played against, I don't know, man. That's, a, that's hard for me to answer because there's so many guys that I – I mean, Gordy comes to mind right away. Uh, because of his toughness and his skill. And uh, you talk about a guy that loved to play. Cordial was that. There's no doubt about it. He just loved it. Nobody could play. And Chris Chelios is another guy. I never played against him. But nobody can play that long. Look at Yager. 
of course the 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 physical getting in shape and all that stuff is certainly different than when Gordy played and I played and uh, and Bobby Hull and the guys like that but uh, still uh, the the mental strength of Yager to keep on going like he did and that's what made Gordy was like like he did come on i mean i never played against messier but there was another guy i liked to watch he was as close to Gordie Howe as anybody I saw before. Yeah. You know, that that he could be mean, he could be good, he could play any style of game you wanted, and that's what Gordie could do. So I'd say Gordie was the best player I ever played against. Phil Esposito joining us in Inside Sports. Phil, I got one more for you. Um, sure. You've probably answered this before, but I, but I want to ask it myself. What was a stronger emotion for you as a player? How much you hated losing or how much you loved winning? Hmm. That's a real, that's a real good question. <laughs> well, I wasn't a very good loser, but I loved winning. <laughs> uh, but I could tolerate losses because you can't win all the time. But I loved winning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phil, thanks. For I play golf. I play golf with my buddies, and and I mean we're all about the same age, you know between 60 and 75, and and i got to tell you, I want to beat their butts all the time. <laughs> well, you probably do, too, don't you? <laughs> no, I don't, but today I did. Today I did. <laughs> Phil, uh, this was incredible. Thanks for some of your memories and, and, and talking about some of the stars in today's game. Uh, an honor to have you on the show, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, well, thank look, you. look forward to watching the Lightning play this season. They're a fun team. Thanks for your time. Well, thank you very much, and... Uh, don't worry about McDavid. He's a star. Well, I think a lot of people listening <laughs> agree with you and hope that his star keeps rising. Thanks a lot, Phil. Phil Esposito, Hockey Hall of Famer from the Tampa Bay Lightning radio booth. He founded that franchise. Man, that was cool to get him on the show. Reaction rolling in. You can text 630-630 during that interview. Uh, he covered a lot there, some on the 72 Summit Series, some on working in the offseason, uh, some on uh, why he wanted a team in Tampa Bay. You want to chime in on anything, text 630-630. We'll open the phone line, 780-496-0063. It's Inside Sports on Chet. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Eskimos winning last night over the Montreal Alouettes to snap a three-game losing streak. Next action for the Green and Gold at Toronto next Saturday afternoon, 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kickoff here on 6.30 Chet. Those Argos in action right now. Six and a half minutes left in the second quarter and Winnipeg has a 13-10 lead. Matt Nichols just hit Clarence Denmark for a touchdown pass. The Toronto Blue Jays in action tonight trailing Houston 4-2 in the top of the sixth. As we mentioned off the top of the show, big win for the Canadian women's soccer team. 1-0 over France in the Olympic quarterfinal. They now play Germany in the semis. The uh, doubles tennis team of Nestor and Pospisil lost in the bronze medal match to uh, an American team, 6-2-6-4. Gold medal on trampoline for Rosie McLennan. We also got a silver in rowing. Canada now up to nine medals for the Olympics. Thanks for tuning in. You can text 630-630. 780-496-0063 is the phone number. Getting lots of reaction coming into the interview with Hockey Hall of Famer Phil Esposito.
Mick Connor goal on Twitter, tweeting me at Reed Wilkins. He goes, uh, so much curmudgeon from Phil Esposito. <laughs> Chad says on the text line to 630-630, it's nice to hear a Canadian who lives in the United States talk about how great the country is. I'm sick of people in Canada who say bad things about the United States, then say they can't wait to go to Arizona on vacation in the next breath. That is from Chad. Lumley fan, Lumley fan says, when did Esposito retire? His uh, last season was 80-81. Even in 79-80, at the age of 38, had uh, 34 goals and 78 points. Higher scoring era, but still scoring 34 pretty good. Sam G says, Reed, I love Phil Esposito. He's honest and a straight shooter. While Bullseye says, wow, never knew Esposito was such a douche. That's from Bullseye. Can we say that, Kellen? Sure. Has douche become night. a common insult? Yeah, it's more common now. Well, we just said it. There we go. So I guess if we can't, we'll get in trouble on Monday. <laughs> uh, this texter says, uh, sign your first name at least if you can, please. But this texter says, this came in during the uh, interview. Could you stop this idiot Phil talking trash about Canada and uh, Edmonton's weather? He wants to enjoy Florida. Let him, but don't trash us Canadians. That's another text to 630-630. Kevin from Stony Plain. My goal in life is to be a grumpy old man just like Phil Esposito. Haha, <laughs> what a great interview. That could have gone sideways a couple of times. That's from Kevin in Stony Plain. Nels says, read awesome interview with Espo, passionate, honest, and speaks his mind. Great work. Razzy says, awesome, no fluff, just calling it as he sees it. Great interview. And Michael from Red Deer texted in during that interview. He says, wow, this is half brutal. You're handling it really well. Bizarre interview. Well, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. There were certainly some things I wanted. I definitely wanted to hit on him founding the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I wasn't sure how much to talk about the 72 series because it's been talked about a lot. I don't know if there are any fresh stories about it, given how it's been covered and written about it. And I have to be honest here that there's a generation of you listening out there who probably are aware the 72 series happened and you are aware of its place in hockey history, but it becomes geezer talk talking about it. And I... I, I wasn't around for the 72 Summit Series. I was born in 74. Uh, but certainly Phil there, I, I think putting to rest any any romantic notions of the Canadians not waiting to get their shot at the Soviets at the time. He didn't even want to play till Bobby Orr asked him. Then he finally did it. And he said he didn't take much interest in the series until they lost the first game. And then they were kind of like, well, we, we don't want to get embarrassed. Uh, yeah. This texture says, interview with Esposito, one of the best ever. That's a guy who doesn't give a rip about being politically correct. He just says how it was. And uh, this texture says, I was on a lounge in Banff watching the 72 series live. All eight games? Interesting. Maybe it was just game eight. I believe uh, Phil Esposito, by the way, is 74 years of age. As I mentioned, he... Uh, also is the 
radio color analyst for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He does not travel with the team. He does the home games, and then I think he does all the playoff games. And I'm pretty sure he does not get paid for that job. He just does it. So, yes, he's, he's certainly not going to be costing himself any income if he ever said anything <laughs> that got him in trouble. Um, I, I, I personally found, well, I found a lot of that interesting as I was sitting here going through it. Um, I, I certainly found the 72 series stuff very interesting. I mean, we have this, you know, romantic notion about hockey in our country. It's Canada's game and... You know, we'd never got to go head-to-head, best-on-best against the Soviet Union at the time, and they were this uh, big, evil political power, and they were winning all the hockey medals, but Canada could never send their best teams to to the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, the Canadian players... (laughs) Phil Esposito didn't want to give up his hockey school in the summer. He didn't want to give up. He didn't want to go spend all that time in training camp and traveling to the Soviet Union and all that kind of stuff. Now, they they rallied, and they, they won in the end, but uh, they certainly Esposito was a reluctant participant at the beginning, until things got rolling. Uh, you can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number is seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. By the way, this portion of Inside Sports is presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. Just transitioning to the Olympics here, Canada. Uh, nine medals, as I mentioned, the Canadian women's soccer team will play for a medal. We don't know what color. If they win one of their final two games, they'll get either a silver or a bronze. If they win both, they'll get a gold. If they lose both, they will uh, settle for fourth place as they beat France 1-0 today. In the pool, Penny Alexiak winning gold last night. That was Canada's first gold. Rosie McLennan followed one up, followed up with another one today. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, uh, Kellen, you were, you were working last night, weren't you? Yeah, the so, football game. So paying attention to the Eskimos game. Were you aware uh, at the time, or did you get, catch it later, of the Elliott Friedman hubbub? Uh, I saw the when I got home last night, I watched it on the interwebs. And uh, that, it, it happens. It's, you know. It's tough. It's, every, we're human. Yeah. So. I mean, it, it was, here's the thing about Elliott. And, and by the way, if, if you're on Twitter or just go to uh, the Sports Illustrated website or Google Elliott Friedman Sports Illustrated, he did an interview with a Sports Illustrated writer today. And... I mean, he's clearly taken it hard, and he—I mean, look—it it, even in the position of being a uh, broadcaster, it's—it's it's hard to imagine how he how he feels. He's on the biggest broadcasting stage you can be on, mm-hmm. and he's calling a race of, you know, the greatest Olympian of all time, yeah. Michael Phelps, and mm-hmm. he calls. Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte he says Lochte has won the race, knocked off his arch rifle Phelps, and then. Mm-hmm. A few seconds after the race ended, basically says, I apologize, I got my lanes mixed up. Yeah. Phelps wins, not Lochte. He feels bad about it, and he says if he would have screwed up another race, he might have gone home and, and just mm. pulled out of it. I don't know. He doesn't want any excuses. I mean, what do you say? It, w- it was the worst time that that could yeah. happen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Elliot's a really good broadcaster. I can remember watching him when he started on the score as a oh, pretty yeah. green reporter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not I'm not saying that he was bad, but you certainly see how he's improved and mm-hmm. how just polished he is. He's one of the best in the country now. Uh, and it's not to say he's good on air. He's a very good reporter. He gets stories. He's yeah. a good writer when he writes stuff. Good TV stories, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, he doesn't want excuses. And Elliot, by the way, was a regular on Oilers. Now I have never dealt with Elliot. Um, 
Brendan Ulrich produces Oilers Now. I was not the Oilers Now producer. Uh, or when I was the Oilers Now producer, Elliot was not a regular mm-hmm. on the show. I met him briefly at Rexall Place, like literally just to shake his hand. Mm. Because he was, uh, he, he, I think he came in in our booth there for a second. Mm-hmm. So that was it. So I know he doesn't want excuses being made for him. But I, I also do think you have to remember, uh, Steve Armitage was supposed to call swimming. Mm-hmm. for CBC, and unfortunately he was too ill to go to the Olympics. And that mm-hmm. was announced within the last couple of weeks before the Olympics. Yep. So I'm not saying, oh, well, Elliot messed up because he wasn't supposed to be doing it, but I, I do think it's worth mentioning mm-hmm. he wasn't supposed to be doing it. Yes. He was supposed to be reporting on it. And Elliot, by trade, as good a broadcaster he is, is is not a play-by-play guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that, things can happen to anybody. He made a mistake. I, I think most people were pretty supportive. And with Twitter, it's now instant reaction to anything. I think most people were pretty supportive. Uh, it was funny. I read one tweet from a guy who said, uh, who said, you ruined the moment for me and my family. It's like, like come on. Like, that's, that's a little much in, in my mind. This is what Phelps upteenth medal he's won with potential yeah, for more all, to happen. There's going to be more moments is what I'm trying to all, say. And there's right. been moments before. So, like, you know, I'm it, sorry. I don't buy that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's... It, it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, look, as, as a, it's one of those things. And, and Elliot said in the interview with the Sports Illustrated writer, he said, you know, if, if an athlete makes a mistake, you expect him to own up to it and talk about it. So Elliot said, I'm going to do the same way because yeah. I've interviewed athletes after they've had uh, moments like that. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it doesn't really affect what I think of him. It, it's unfortunate it's going to stay with him. As someone who has now, for me, has a 16-year career, which piddles in comparison to a lot of guys, but has a 16-year career doing something like this, speaking into a microphone, often live. Uh, I've certainly had my share of, of gaffes, mm. uh, some bad, some minor, some humorous. Um, but I can't put myself on the stage that Elliot put. I mean, what was the one a couple of weeks ago people were bugging me about? I said a pitcher had a goals against average because I'm used to saying that instead of earned oh, run, earn run average. I, I know a couple times that. at Oilers broadcast, <laughs> I've given the incorrect final score because I haven't counted an empty net goal. Yes. Uh, and, you know, so Rob Brown just jumps in and says, I was five. To, you know, so, of course, those, those are lighter moments. Mm-hmm. I don't think Elliot treats this as a lighter moment but but it's tough but I'm, I'm certainly not going to write him off or mm. uh, or say that this defines his career and I, and I think he's going to get over it um, but another interesting thing happened at the swimming the previous night do you remember Canada got the medal in the 4x200 freestyle relay did you mm. hear the Byron uh, McDonald comment I did not the, no. uh, not uh, not McDon- yeah Byron McDonald sorry mm. um, he thought his microphone was off and he said, the little 14-year-old from China dropped the ball, baby. Too excited. Went out like stink. Died like a pig. Thanks for that. And that got a little bit of uproar. Um, now, again, the, the old saying is in broadcasting, if you're near a microphone, mm-hmm. just don't say anything that you think might get you into well, trouble. Well, assume every mic is live when you walk into a room. That's broadcasting right. 101. No, yes. quite frankly, um, we don't always treat it that way. No. I, but here's the thing. I, I thought there was a lot of overreaction to Byron's comment. It, it was it was it kind of a mean spirited comment the way he phrased it. Okay, fair enough. Mm. Um, he didn't really. Well, I mean, he insulted the swimmer in terms of the way she swam the race. He didn't say anything racist. He didn't play any say anything sexist. When he says thanks for that, he's basically saying thanks for killing your team's chances and allowing Canada win to mm-hmm. win. 
Uh, and he did make that comment on air during the broadcast using much different language. But he mm -hmm. did suggest during the race that that Chinese swimmer had gone out too quickly and maybe it wasn't going to last. So it's not mm -hmm. as if he was offering some analysis that he hadn't offered during the during the race. He just did it when he thought was Mike was Mike was off, when he thought they weren't on air. Mm. He did it in kind of a crass way. Now, he didn't swear. He didn't drop any bombs or anything like that. It's just, to me it's just the terminology was very crass, kind of rude. And here I'll give I'll give you something for me, Callum, for my day-to-day -day life. Right. If I were talking about a sporting event that was lopsided with a buddy, uh -huh. I might say they got murdered. Mm -hmm. I would be very reluctant to use that term in describing a game when I'm on air. Because mm -hmm. it's a little harsh, it's a little much, it's a little crass, it's a little insensitive. No. Yeah. Byron did that, he didn't think his mic was on, and, and again, I, th I think that's that's a forgivable offense, and mm -hmm. you know, now he's, he just has to be a little bit more careful. Mm -hmm. You can text 630-630, the phone number is 780-496-0063. A couple more interviews about Phil Esposito, and uh, we'll get into some Eskimo stuff as we move along as well. Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight at 6.53. Inside Sports on 6.30 Chad. Hope you have a great weekend lined up. I uh, started my fringe volunteer stint today. Cool. Got four shifts at the uh, old fringe ground, so I, I'm there tomorrow, I'm there Sunday, and then I'm here, I'm doing a fringe shift on Monday, so I got four days in a row. What do uh, they have you doing? Uh, well, you get to pick what you do. Okay. So I'm in information services, so I, I work in an information tent. Right on. So I volunteer in an information tent. So you hand out maps and stuff? And uh, well, you sell programs. Gotcha. You sell programs, and then answer just a lot of questions. Where's this venue? Where are the washrooms? Where can I buy tickets? And it, the interesting thing is the, mm. the people who come up and say... Uh, what is happening here? <laughs> because if you've lived in Edmonton for any length of time, you probably have a good idea what the fringe is. Even if you've never been to the fringe, if you're an Edmontonian, you could probably describe it. And there yeah. are a lot of Edmontonians who go to the fringe. See, right? this is that's when you have some fun, and it's like, what's happening here? I, I don't just, know. I a couple of guys nothing. walked down a yeah. um, j uh, alley, grabbed me, and put me in this blue tent. I have yeah. no idea what's nothing. up. Nothing's going on. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's cool. Really enjoyed doing that, and I'll have to check out some shows this weekend. There My you goodness, go. I didn't, couldn't go to one today. Yeah, Did yeah. the volunteer shift and uh, came into work. Uh, Corey says uh, Esposito dropped several names like How and Messier. If you put those two guys at today's game, would they be as dominant, even Esposito himself? Well, look, as, as Phil Esposito stated, the, the training was much different. Phil Esposito worked in the summer for the first half of his career in a, uh, in a steel mill. So he wasn't doing hockey training. The, look, the guys are in better shape now. The game is faster. The strategies are different. But what did Phil Esposito say about what makes a great player? God-given talent... And then the desire to work and put out the effort. Esposito had that. Howe had that. Messier had that. So if you took a Marc Messier, who was born in, what's 20 years ago, 1996, and put him in today's NHL, I think he'd be a star. Because he'd have all the updated training techniques, and he would still have that same desire and fire. Same with Howe, same with Esposito. So that's, that's my answer to that. 
Brett says, great interview with Esposito. The haters texting in have to grow up. Feels real, baby. <laughs> All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want to get to those the, the Hope Solo comment about calling the uh, Swedes cowards today after they beat the Americans in soccer. But we're going to touch on that Patrick Waugh situation that broke yesterday. He uh, quit as the Avalanche coach, Drew Spivak, from Denver Sports 760 when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.